about two weeks ago, I've known for a long time that I was going to preach. And about two, three weeks ago, the Lord already gave me the sermon, and I was very excited. Because it meant little preparation. Is a, I'm not going to be long, because Indian Australia is playing a good cricket match, and I'm going <laughs> to see if I can't get to the end of that. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to keep you longer. Than, and I was excited, and, and I was like, yeah, no, I don't wanna have to prepare much for this one. And And then the Lord gave me something else, and I was like, Okay, well, kind of already had the sermon. Um, okay, okay, we can fit that in as well. We will see how that goes. <laughs> and then I prayed more, and, 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 and then the Lord gave me something else. And I was like, okay, now maybe we can move it like this. I'm not sure. And then the Lord gave me a fourth thing, and I was like, yeah, I'm now I'm confused. And I know I've got ADD, but this is, I'm like, I'm not sure, Lord. So... I've never read so much. I never prayed so much before the Lord came. And um, even tonight, Matt asked me, would you preach about it? I said, I actually don't know because I'm not sure which sermon is going to, which sermon is going to come out. But um, I've got a few sermons and we'll see with which one we'll go. And that's all I can tell you. And, um, but seriously, really want to thank my fellow elders that always trust me with the word. First time I preached many years ago here. Because I wasn't a Baptist, I was a raving charismatic. Um, Matt sat down with me and he wanted to check every note of mine. And I was like, Matt, I don't prepare like that, dude, you know. <laughs> just, anyway, um, and since then he's just given me freedom. And I've preached quite a few times at the Rich and they're an amazing bunch of people. Um, and I haven't preached here for a while and I'm very excited to be. And I believe Ratif did a good job, so no pressure. There's no competition in the kingdom. But... Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let the six down. So after that long introduction, let's turn to the book of Jonah. That is in the Old Testament. It's about as much as I can tell you. So that will be the book of Jonah. We're not going to read all of it, and you all. Know Jonah pretty well anyway. But we will be reading the first chapter and a little bit of the second chapter. Okay, are we good? Are we there? <coughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And if I have to Always said the rich, um, I said, Gary, always comes to me after to go, your sermon needs a title. I was like, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a title. It's just, what do you think? No, it needs a title. But if there's a title for night, it's go and wake up. Time for the church to go and time for the church to wake up. And that's the title. And many times we will see in the scriptures that we're going to read the Lord saying, go. And, in, and there's a clue in God's name. It's like, Two-thirds of his name actually means go. I don't know if you ever thought about that. So if there was any doubt that it's time to go, then uh, just read your Bible. So, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, I'm really not trying to be funny or comedian, but I really battle to say Tarshish without thinking it's funny because it sounds like a drunkard. It's like, are you drunk? Yes. Where are you from? Oh, Tarshish. 
<laughs> it just doesn't sound right. It should be Tarsus, not Tarshish. Anyway, so he headed for Tarshish, went to Job, and by the way, if you've ever heard a sermon about Jonah, you will know that Tarshish is exact opposite side. It is definitely not where Nineveh was. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After praying the fair, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, the reason he fleed is that I've really read a lot about Jonah and listened to some sermons and the Syrians. The Syrians lived in, was, was Assyria. Tarshish was in Assyria and the Syrians lived there. And they were desperately wicked people. They were cruel, merciless horrible people. I mean, so horrible, I really actually can't tell you what they did because it's just so bad. These were terrible. So it's easy for us to say, yeah, Jonah ran away. This was really like a Jew, and I'm not trying to be funny or disrespectful, going to the Nazis in World War II and go, you know, God says. I mean, he most probably wouldn't have made it through the front gate, literally. That's how they, they oppressed the... The people, they killed them, they cut them, and they did horrible things. So Jonah go, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to Tarshish. So anyway, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now also in those days, there were lots of gods, and they wouldn't... Like big gods, they were gods of a region or a god of a city or god, and everybody had their own gods. And it was like, hey, it's cool, you got your god, and he's got his god, and that city's got. There was just everybody called out to the different gods, and obviously it had no effect. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Go up and call on your god. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out what is, who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and, I'm, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them because now they realize that now they're dealing with the God of gods. Their gods are little gods of a city or a region or a something. This is the, this is the real deal. This is, is it also people say, Makulu, Makulu, the biggest of the biggest. This is, this is the big God. And they were scared. Um, this, yeah. The sea was getting tougher and, no, no, sorry. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what shall we do to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish, and I'm not going to argue the fact whether it was a fish or a whale or whatever, to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hold me to the depths, into the very hearts of the season. Current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I've said I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward my holy temple. Um, and let's read thus far. But there's another story in the Bible of Oaks traveling on a ship where a storm came up and they also grew afraid and someone else was also sleeping on the boat and I'm going to read it you don't have to turn there but it's Jesus himself and this is the version I chose because I chose it for a specific reason it's in Mark 4 and I'm just going to read it to you that day when evening came and this is Jesus. He said to his, his disciples, let us go. Remember, see that? Go over to the other side. This was his idea. This was Jesus' idea. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And the other version in one of the other gospels, it says um, they were in Deep danger. They were threatened. The boat nearly broke up. Jesus was on the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And this is two similar stories. In both cases, God told Jonah, go this way, and he decides to go that way. And then Jesus tells his disciples, go this way, and they actually obey him, and they go this. And it kind of, they both end up with an incredible storm that is literally will break up the boat and basically kill them, take their lives. But the thing is, when you've got Jesus in the boat, it's okay. But when you're going in your own way, and you're running away from God, and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, and you're in obedience, then it's not so okay. Then things don't work out so well for you. And then eventually you're going to end up in the sea. And God in his great mercy did provide the fish, and Jonah did repent. And the beauty of it, even in Jonah's disobedience, those other sailors came to salvation. They Praise God, and they, so God can even use our mistakes to to reach other people. But what they do, both did is that those people had to wake Jonah up. And for me, that's the the Christian running in the wrong direction. That's us minding our own business, not wanting necessarily what God wants us to do, not being on a mission field, and um, someone. I read a commentary, this was a while ago, saying that 
when the world starts waking the church up, then you know we're in trouble. It's time. And the very next day, uh, I read in a daily dispatch about this. That was one of the governments asking the church to say, please pray into this. We have no answers. And I thought that was so amazing. As the world is starting to wake the church up, saying, come, call on your God. We're in trouble. And you know what? They tried harder and harder. They tried to row, but any amount of effort couldn't do it until they woke up the um, Jonah, threw him overboard and sang, and, and then the storm calmed down. And you know what? As a church, if we in the storm or in our own lives, Jesus in our boat, we can wake him up too. No, I know he's not sleeping. But when things are rough in our lives, we can call on the Lord and he will calm the storm. He will call on heaven and he will calm the storm. And I just want to encourage you that I know a lot of you are going through storms. We're going through financial storms or relationships or illness. But Jesus on your boat. And sometimes it seems like you might be sleeping. Not much is happening. But he knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he's always doing something. God's always busy doing something in our lives, even if it doesn't look like that. And you can just call on him. And I promise you it will end well because he's on your boat. But having said all of that, that's not even my sermon. That's my introduction. <laughs> now, I just really want to encourage you that even in the storm, and I know you've heard this all. This is nothing new to you. If Jesus is on the boat, just call on the Lord. He is in your boat. He is with you. Even though in your storm, we all go through storms. We all go through difficult times. It happens. It, it, it's okay. Christians, we go through it. Just call on the Lord. And, and, and you know, it's so typical from the disciples say, Lord, don't you care? You know, many times I've said, Lord, can't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care what's happening to me? You know, what's wrong with you? And, I mean, they were just about dead. And Jesus said to him, why are we so terrified? <laughs> like, geez, Lord, come on, you know. Like, we nearly died. That's why we're terrified. And the Lord's just saying, when I'm in your boat, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's going to be fine. You don't have to be scared. And you know, there's a lot of scary things happening out there. But Jesus is in our boat. We do not have to be scared. But the boat in itself is not, that is purely a vessel to get us to the other side. What was on the other side? For, obviously, um, Jonah repented, got the whale, the whale spit him out, got on the next boat, and he went to Nineveh. And that was on his other side of his journey. The boat was just part of his journey. And sometimes life throws us curveballs, but it's just part of our journey. That's not the objective in itself. That's just things the Lord wants to teach us. The Lord wants to shape us, certain things to us. The Lord wants to teach us faith. But that's not necessarily where he's sending us. That's not necessarily the main thing that he's doing. So for Jonah, it was Nineveh. And he went to preach the word, and we know that they repented. Um, for Jesus, he went to across to the, I'm not sure what town, but to the other side, and he, um, there was a man that was demon-possessed, and he delivered him from demons. And this guy got set free, chased the demons and the pigs. I don't know where you get pigs in that area. Then that, to me, is quite strange because they don't eat pigs. They don't eat bacon. Um, and then he begged Jesus to come with him because Jesus was getting on his boat to the, to the next journey. And Jesus said, no, stay here and tell everybody what I've done for you. And um, he went to, they call it the, the Copolis, 
I'm not sure if you pronounce it like that. It's the 10 cities. He went to 10 cities and spoke to everybody about Jesus. And the Bible said everybody. They were all, they were all amazed about what Jesus, was, what Jesus did. So yes, something happened on the sea, but they were on their way somewhere. It wasn't just about the ship and the boat and the storm and Jesus coming. They were on a mission. They were on a journey to the other side. And I want to ask you tonight, what's on your other side? Yes, we're on a journey. You're on a journey, and I'm on a journey, and, and sometimes there's storms, and we get it. Unfortunately, Jesus is on the boat with us. But where's our boat taking us? Where's our journey? Where's our mission field? Where's God, where's God sending us? And as Jay would always say, I'm so glad you asked that question, because <laughs> I want to answer it. And I want to play you a little audio clip in a second from a guy that he was also on a mission, and he touched many lives, but it's, it was so simple. And um, after that, I'll continue to, you know, to share with you. And I did check out this clip completely and thoroughly. It is genuine. It really happened. Sometimes, you know, on WhatsApp, I mean, I got this clip 10 years ago. Um, this guy was a Baptist, and I was a charismatic guy. Yeah, these Baptists are quite all right. <laughs> um, and yes, there was even a book written about this guy, and the book is for sale on Amazon. I just wanted to make sure that this is legit, because this is such an awesome story. So let's, just for a few minutes, listen to this man's testimony. Non-copyright. Duplication is encouraged. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, I've just moved into this area, I used to live in another part of London, I came from Sydney in Australia, and just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street, you know where George Street is in Sydney, it runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area, and he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ and I'm a Christian and I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling, and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. 
never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street. And <laughs> as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand, and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end... The Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin, because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later... That Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney. 
in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis... I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say, that has to be commitment. It's that has thing. to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus. That goes on a bit, but that's, that's extraordinary. And you know, so my second part of the sermon would be that God's got a plan for each one of us. There's a city in East London and maybe even further afield that's desperate for Jesus. Um, and Matt, you prayed it earlier. And I really believe the Lord wants to give the church a voice again. I really believe the Lord wants to give the church authority and a place of speaking and a voice to speak into this, not just in the spiritual realm, but to speak into to, to situations and speak into the politics and speak into just a, a place of authority where the Lord is rise, raising up the church again. And yes, the church is a community and as a, as a whole, but also you and me. I want to read scripture out of Ephesians. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And that thing where he says he chose us in him before the creation of this world. That's, that wows me every time. God knew about me and about you <clears throat> long before there was day or night, animals, Adam or Eve. God knew about us. He knew about you. He knew about me. And he had a specific plan for you and for me. And for some it will be big. For some will speak to kings and to governments. And for some it will just speaking to the lady at the spa or the checkout counter or the cleaner or the whatever. But I want to really encourage you tonight that the Lord has got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I've been thinking about my own life and who was very influential in my decisions. 
And they were all young people. I was late, you know, to Jesus by a guy in school. And I'm speaking to the young people now. And then my dad, when I was very young, I was 15, and another man, another friend of mine, took me and introduced me to their church, um, which was our community. Um, <clears throat> and I went there for 40, no, 30 years, met my wife there, had my kids there, became a cell group leader, elder, because of one little boy's obedience. Um, yeah, and I think it was Dave that shared last week that most Christians come to know Jesus at a young age, I think before age 20, a high percentage. And also to the, to the youth um, or the young people, I just think you're so influential where God's put you and where people are setting out on a journey and maybe they're kind of on the wrong boat. And for you guys just to reach out to them, speak into their lives. And it's not necessarily a sermon. It's not necessarily a prayer whatever. But the other sermon that I was going to preach that I won't preach is that I, we're all superheroes. You know, I love X-Men and I love um, Avengers. And because there's this whole spiritual world that, we, that we're not even so completely aware of, where there's so much going on. And... And we're the superheroes, and God's given us superpowers, you know. And our superpowers could be a gift of healing or a gift of wisdom or raising the dead or whatever. And the Lord wants to use us as these superheroes to reach out to these people. Um, and just, yeah, just in a time of need, just to speak into their lives. Um, and so my prayer tonight is that let's make sure that, unlike Jonah, we don't go in the wrong the wrong direction. Let's let's get on the right boat. And maybe it's not a city for all of us. Maybe we're not going to speak to our whole city. But maybe we can just speak to our partner or our colleague or our boss or whatever. I am so utterly convinced of this that God has saved you and made you for a purpose. I did some research about you this, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to get too graphic, but <clears throat> you had to beat somewhere between 30 million and 500 million sperm to fertilize the egg. <laughs> okay, so you won out of 500 million. So you got, checked all those sperms, and he goes, that one. And he goes, go, my boy. <laughs> and that sperm had your DNA in because God needed you for that, for this day, you were born really for a time like this, for his purposes, and he made you the way you are for him. And we're not all the same. We are so different. I mean, I'm, I got so many, once we went to a supper one night, and it was two um, psychologists and a doctor that's a pastor, and they're discussing all these conditions, and I was like, Really, Lord, I'm actually in trouble because I can relate to all of that they're saying. <laughs> I was like, I've got the whole scale of these things. I'm like, I'm in trouble. I mean, um, I did a test this week and I, you know, on dyslexia, and it's not a big deal. I mean, I can read and whatever. But I did got 35 out of 37. I was like, yes, I wish I got this well for my, you know, math test in, 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 um, at school. But I don't care. I'm not defined by that. I'm not defined by what I am or 
what I can't do or can do. I'm defined by Christ. I'm defined by His Spirit. His Spirit's in me. And I believe the Lord wants to give you a, a voice. Um, I mean, I look at my wife and she's so organized and she does admin and stuff and she just like changed the world before, you know, breakfast time. And when I do admin, everything must be right. And I, you know, my thing must be clean. My desk must be like this. I must have my coffee. And then, you know, ooh, there's an ant, you know. <laughs> and I get so frustrated with myself. I get so, like, and I got so many weaknesses, and I'm really, and I, but these things keep me on my knees just before the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you to move in my heart. I, I haven't got it in my own ability. I don't have it in my own skill. Um, and I want to tell you that the Lord was, just wants to, I know it's such a cliche, but he just needs your availability. He doesn't need your ability. You know, do we know even who, no one knew this. I don't know. I don't think any of you knew this guy before I played. Maybe one or two of you heard of this guy. And because of him, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, are in heaven today. It matters. I want to tell you it matters what we do on earth. What we do on earth has got an eternal um, result. It's we've got eternity in our heart and what we do will reap us eternal rewards this is not just our little life and we just live it out and wait until we die my father-in-law that says it was it why have what do you say why have pie in the sky when you die we can have steak on your plate while you wait you know <laughs> um and this old man is really my hero he's, he's a stubborn old man but uh, he's my hero because he's faithfully served Jesus from, well, since he was a young man. <clears throat> and the Lord has been faithful to him. The Lord's been faithful to that family. And I think one day <clears throat> we'll see many people. He ministered among the black folk. And he ministered among the black folk in the 70s already, long before there was anything like an election. Um, and I think one day he's going to see many black folk in heaven um, because of his faithfulness. And you know, even Jesus referred back to Jonah. And apparently it was the only prophet he ever referred back to. I mean, he did read about desire, but um, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, and he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. <clears throat> what Jonah did mattered. And he didn't even like the, the Syrians. Even when God saved them. We didn't read all of it. He says, Lord, why did you save them? I told you. You're such a kind and compassionate God. I knew this was going to happen. Like an entire city. And Jesus, I mean, God said, they didn't even know their left hand from the right hand. It's like they are clueless. And here I come and I've saved them, saved the entire city. And you're not even happy. But that entire city literally is in heaven today, worshiping the Lord because of one man's obedience. And today I'm, I'm encouraging you, young men, children or youth, everybody. What we do on earth matters. It has eternal value. And there's a city out there that needs salvation, that needs Jesus.
And I just want to say one more thing. If we know the boy that brought the two loaves, no, two fishes, five loaves, eh? Does anybody know his name? Know his name? No. And yet Jesus took that, looked to heaven, and multiplied. I want to encourage you, reaching to the lost or doing God's work or advancing his kingdom or being a voice, that's really simple. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Just if you can hand out a pamphlet, if you can bring your two fish and five loaves, the Lord will take it and he will bless it and he will multiply it. And you're not responsible for people's actions. All God wants from you is your obedience. You share the word or you pray. If they get healed or don't get saved, like you heard this old man, for 40 years, you didn't see a single result. Don't be discouraged by that. You do not know what God is doing. Just do what you can do where you're at. And even if you're different, God made you like that. He made us all different. That's okay. Even if you've got ADD, even if you suffer from depression, doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, and we must pray for that. But God can use it. Afrikaans, we say, Die met a kromstok. He can use anybody <laughs> to do his will and his purposes if we just avail ourselves to him, be obedient to him, bring the little bit we've got, look to heaven, and he will bless it, he will anoint it, and he will multiply it. And he's giving you a voice. He's giving us a voice for this city. Um, and I'm really excited to see what the Lord is going to do. At such a sense, the Lord's saying, it's time for the Lion of Judah to start roaring again. I really, I'm not sure what that looks like on earth. But I, I do know it's time for the church to wake up, to call on God. And it's time to roar again. And let's go out there and get the people, get the lost. Let's have a voice. Let's just take what we've got, bring it to Jesus, and he will do the rest. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I want to thank you for each one here tonight, each, each person that you've brought here, each person that you've saved for an, a reason, These, each one of us, Lord, that you even knew about before the foundation of earth, before earth was created, you knew about us. You had a plan for us. And we were born exactly for a time like this. Right now, when the world is going through so much turmoil, through so many storms, Lord, you want to send us into those storms to bring calm, to bring peace. And I just pray that you'll open up the eyes and the ears of each one here to be able to see you, to hear you, to see the opportunities. Give them the, the boldness, Lord. Give them the courage just to do what's before them. And thank you, Lord. It's not up to us. It's up to you. But that you'll just take the bit we've got and you will just bless it, empower it, and you'll multiply it. And it will be for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.